morning, we're in this series uh, called Grow, and I talked some last week on uh, just when it comes to raising my nine and seven-year-old boys, I have an expectation for them when it comes to developing and to growing and maturing and being formed, and what I want for my children is what I want for every believer, uh, because it's the invitation and the expectation of God that God wants to grow and develop what God, uh, what he has saved. So I want to place two words Uh, Before you today for the sake of reflection today and hopefully throughout this week and the two words are preparation and response Uh, So when it comes to us uh, meeting with God having encounters with God uh, What do you do to prepare yourself for encounters? What do you do to prepare yourself for a meeting with God and not only about is the question about preparation? But how do you respond when you do have an encounter? When you have a meeting, when you are reading the word, when you hear something from the Lord, how do you respond? So there is preparation and there are responses. Now, for those of you who have ever led meetings, whether it be at work or um, uh, maybe at some project or an event that you're helping to plan and there's a meeting that you arranged and you set up for, doesn't it drive you nuts when people show up and they have not prepared for the meeting? And there are things we can do when it comes to meeting with God and having encounters with God, hearing from the Lord. How do we prepare our hearts? How do we prepare ourselves? How do we provide space for the Lord, for the Lord to work? And so there, there's preparation that is involved. There's also responses. What do we do with it? My, my senior year of high school, I was uh, blessed with a youth group that around that time, and we had a number of people who had a heart for the Lord. And I, what we realized is that we were showing up on Sunday mornings, and we were tired, and we were distracted, and we weren't really connecting. So I launched a, I launched a Saturday night Bible study for teenagers, and dozens showed up. And, and it was fun. We would, we would have food and fellowship, and we laughed, and we had a good time. But we would also spend 30 minutes to an hour on Saturday nights, at some point on Saturday nights, singing some songs and praying and just engaging the Word of God to prepare us for Sunday mornings when we did get to church, that there was some preparation involved. Now, I won't want to be hesitant because when I step up here, and even when you hear Randy Frederick and other leaders in this church talk, I mean, everything in the life of this church isn't geared towards what we're doing right here in this time. It's about trying to live a life that's bringing glory to God and, and following Jesus. So it's not just about getting to this moment. In fact, the way I like to think about church, sometimes it's, just, it's not what we bring into this place. It's how we leave this place that makes a difference. But it is a life that God is inviting us to these encounters, preparation and response. When I think about this, uh, I, I think of all the different experiences I had going to church camp growing up. I don't know if all of you had an, a, a, a time growing up where you went to church camp, but all six years, middle school and high school, I got to go to camp. And, and there were years that I went into it with this hunger for the Lord, and there were years that I, I went into it as simply a social experience. There were a couple of years, especially early on in my, uh, as a teenager, that I went to church camp because there were 12 other churches that went to church camp with us, which meant that there were girls from other churches that went to church camp. And my first three years of church camp, it was all about talking to the ladies, meeting the ladies, trying to get some camp fling going. You know, hopefully maybe there's a worship service where you end up sitting next to one. And then hopefully someone stands up to preach and they say, hey, grab the hand of the person next to you as we pray. And, and, you know, maybe it went like this, which meant this may not go anywhere. But if your hands kind of slipped and you're like this, it's like we're getting married one day, you know. Um, But the thing back in the 90s when I went to church camp is we didn't have cell phones. 
And when you call people long distance, it costs money. So most of my camp flings lasted about a month until the first phone bill came in, or I realized writing letters took a lot of time, and my parents made me pay for stamps to send letters. So those flings didn't go very long. But there was one, there was one girlfriend that I did make, and we dated for a couple of months after church camp. She was the lifeguard at our church camp. We didn't, make, we didn't co-ed swim, all right? It was... That could send you straight to hell back in the 90s, all right? So guys would swim, girls would swim, and there would be girls. Sometimes this, the, the, the lifeguards, could, they were mixed. So she, she happened to be the one who was out by, there was this huge stump. We would swim in this river outside of San Antonio. It was murky. It had water moccasins, so they would beat the ground, and moccasins would fly away. And as teenagers, we didn't care. We would jump in anyway, and they would teach us if we got bit. It was just the wrath of God on us, right? All right. And you would climb this huge stump. It was like a high dive, and you would jump in. So one day, I climbed it, and I jumped in. And I resurfaced, and I just stood there treading water because I had no choice in the moment. I was treading water, and people didn't know why. And the guys who were coming after me were like, dude, move out of the way. You've got to move so we can jump. But I wasn't moving. I stood still, just treading water there, which seemed like eternity. The lifeguard who would become my girlfriend, at least until the, the first or second phone bill came in, all right? She was telling me to move, but I wouldn't move. They start getting other adults who were telling me to move, but I wouldn't move. And after about three or four minutes, finally, my swimsuit resurfaced about seven feet away to the right. Uh, because when I dove in, it came off, all right? And I wasn't going to get out of the water like that. Um, I can think of times going to camp. Six years I went to camp, and all six times I came away with different responses because of what I took in or because of what I, what I took out of it. There were years that I, I would go away from church camp, and, and it was like I got nothing out of it. And there were years I would go away, and whatever I learned, it would stick for a couple of weeks until I got kind of pulled back in to, to some pressure and, and just to, to, to life. There were years that it stuck. There was 1997, right after my sophomore year, it was one of those years where it, like, it clicked and it stuck. It was a, a year where... I've shared before, I went through some intentional, a season of intentional sin in my life, just engaging, pretty much living life. So many idolatries, it's hard to even name them all. Uh, but church camp addressed the themes of my life, the, speaking directly into the sin of my life at the time. And, and it was from that, that the grace of God was so heavy upon my life, it sent me into this two to three week long depression. It wasn't that it was circumstantial depression as I was just wrestling with some of the life change that needed to happen in my own life. And it was my sister who talked me into confessing our sins to my mom and dad one night because she was asking questions of my life. And she said there were some things she needed to share with mom and dad, and she talked me into it. And it was, it was then, right after church camp, that I remember confessing some stuff to my mom and dad, which sounded so crazy at the time. And, and having my mom respond as this woman with so much mercy and forgiveness and reading and claiming psalms over my sister and I that night. And it was just coming out of church camp, this response of experiencing God in a way that I knew I would never be the same again. But here's what was so wild about church camp, is that you would get hundreds of kids who would go to camp hearing the same messages, singing the same songs, seeing the same illustrations, having some of the same experiences, yet walk away with dozens of different responses. Where for some people, the gospel would stick and sink in. And for some, it would kind of sit there for a little while and then would go away. Uh, Jesus tells a parable like this. 
So open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4 today. So we're in the, the series. It's an eight-week series. This is week number two, uh, talking about grow. And this is a vital, uh, if we want to understand growth and how Scripture talks about growth, this is a vital passage in understanding what it means to grow into Christ. Now, one thing I shared last week is that when God created the world in Genesis 1 and 2, and He set it in motion, for God, there was an expectation for His creation to grow and to be developed and to be cultivated. And when it comes to new creation through Jesus, there is an expectation and an invitation that whatever God has claimed as new creation, that it will be formed and shaped and developed and that it will be cultivated. There's growth and development. And I know this is hard because today, the parable we read talks a lot about bearing fruit in our lives. And I know there are some of you in here that it's not the bearing fruit for you is a bad idea. Is that you came to church this morning and what you're thinking in your life is that this week, like bearing fruit is not what's on your mind. What is on your mind is you just want a week where things in life don't just crumble. A week where things don't just fall all over the place. A week where you can experience some peace. And hopefully I pray something in Mark 4. From the teaching of Jesus will resonate with you this morning. All right, so open your Bibles. Mark chapter 4. I want to begin reading verse uh, 1 through 9. It says, Again, he began to preach beside the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat on the sea and sat there. Maybe Jesus got a little claustrophobic sometimes. I don't know. But sometimes he would get in a boat in order to teach. So he's in a boat by the sea, and he sat there while the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he began to teach them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seed fell into good soil and brought forth grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30 and 60 and 100 fold. And he said, let anyone who has ears to hear, let them hear. Jesus was a phenomenal teacher. When you think of the teachers in your life who have had the greatest impact on you, there are probably some things about that teacher that resonate. For Jesus, there were a few things about his teaching that made him such a great teacher. For one, uh, he was able to get people's attention. Because Jesus wasn't just coming with philosophy and uh, deep theology, though it was there. It was teaching in a way that like resonated with everyday life. It was so practical to how people how, how they live, and he's pulling stories from everyday experiences to help them engage the heart and the mission of God. Uh, Jesus, his teaching was attractive. It's not necessarily he was attractive. In fact, we're told he wasn't. But there was something about his teaching that was attractive that crowds, thousands of people would flock to him to hear what he had to say. There was something about his teaching that ha- there was authority in his teaching. His teaching was able to awaken a stirring inside of people, so they're seeking and searching. And Jesus, when it came to teaching, he wasn't afraid to repeat himself. There were some themes throughout the teachings of Jesus that he would revisit and come back to. And even the, that last verse in eight, nine, uh, verse 9 that Jesus said, let those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Eight different times Jesus uses that phrase. Not one time does Jesus ever say, let those who have eyes to see, let them see. But it's let those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Like, let it sink in. Embrace it. Take hold of it. When Jesus would teach, it wasn't for applause and it wasn't for appreciation. 
When Jesus would teach, it was for the glory of God and it was for the response of people. Jesus would teach in a way that he's inviting responses. For Jesus, it wasn't just people patting him on the back saying, man, great authority there, good teaching. It was his teaching was inviting people into a certain kind of life. When I think of the people who I have admired the most, teachers and preachers throughout my life, it wasn't just those who had good skills to stand on a stage. It was those that when they taught, it invited me into something. It's the teachers and preachers who would stand, the speakers who would stand up in front of me, and by the way they would teach, it created this love-hate relationship between me and them because I loved what they were saying. Because it's inviting me into something different, yet I hated what they were saying. Because it was convicting me to the core and calling me into something greater. When you think of the preachers that you've read about throughout American history or church history, or this weekend we're celebrating MLK Day, one of the greatest preachers America has ever known, who had the ability to stand up and communicate and had great content and was pulling in everyday life experiences. Yet when MLK would step up to preach, he was inviting people into something. There's a movement. We've got to press forward. When Jesus would stand up to teach, it wasn't just for applause and appreciation. It was, hey, there's this invitation into something deeper. Growth in the kingdom of God is related to the willingness to respond to the teaching about the kingdom of God. And Jesus doesn't force people to respond to him in all of his sovereignty and his power. As Jesus reigns over all things, Jesus is not forcing people to automatically respond to what he is teaching. And it's not because he's not a good teacher. It's that there are these diversity of responses to the teachings of Jesus. And a lot of times it's because our hearts are distracted or they're not prepared or they're not at a place where they are willing to embrace what it is Jesus has to say. So in Mark chapter 4, Jesus unpacks this parable. And he does it in a way to awaken the mind and the hearts. And he goes on to even call parables a mystery. And mysteries are not puzzles to be solved. When you read about mysteries, especially in the New Testament, they're not puzzles to be solved. It's not like God's playing some hide-and-go-seek game with you, that you have to go searching for the mystery. It's that there is this mystery of God, and he's eager to lift the curtain to reveal deeper things. And it's how Jesus teaches in Mark 4. You know, there are only two parables that I can recount, that I can think of, where Jesus comes back after the parable to explain what the parable means. That he doesn't just leave it there for you to talk about or go with your life, to your life groups and try to discuss, like, what's the meaning. Jesus comes back. There are two different times where he comes back to parables to explain them to us. And this is one of them. Look in Mark chapter 4 and verse 13. And as you read this, I want, you, I want to invite you to underline it. Take some notes. And, and I want to invite you to spend time with this in a way that you can do some personal reflection on the soil of your own life. Uh, but not just personal reflection, but as you have been called to be light and to sow seeds, what does this mean for you as you engage a neighborhood or a school or your workplace or whatever it is you go this week? So hear the word, beginning in verse 13. And Jesus said to them, Do you not understand this parable? Then how will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones on the path where the word is sown, that when they hear... Satan immediately comes and he takes away the word that is sown in them. And, those are, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground that when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy, but they have no root and endure only for a while. And then when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. 
And others are those sown, sown among the thorns. That these are the ones who hear the word. <coughs> Excuse me. But the cares of the world and the lure of wealth and the desire for other things come in and they choke the word and it yields nothing. And these are the ones sown on the good soil. And they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30 and 60 and 100 fold. So let me talk about each one just for a moment. You, you have the path where the seeds fall on the path, but because uh, it, it just lands there, it never goes below the surface. There, is a, there, there are times in our lives, and many people live, have lived this way when it comes to faith, that they can fixate and land on an immature level, and they stop developing altogether. And there are two different things that happen when it comes to the path, that a seed lands on the path, and it's trampled by people. But something else happens in Jesus' explanation of the story that should give us something to pray over, is that Satan is eager, just like a bird, to quickly snatch that seed. Then when teachings of Jesus flow from the mouths of people or from the mouth of heaven and descends upon hearts of people, it lands, and Satan is immediately doing everything he can to distract us, to get us to turn to the left or to the right or to move away from the seat so that he can take it away. It's happening right now in churches all over the world. And it should give us a way to pray that God is this word, is your word, falls upon people I love and upon myself. Well, today, will you silence the voice and the actions of Satan and, his, and the enemy and all of his friends to keep this word from not bearing fruit and from sinking deep? There's the rocky ground. And as Jesus explains the rocky ground, it comes, what comes to mind are spiritual experiences in our lives that have been very emotional, yet they are rootless. There are no roots uh, especially in America over the last 150 to 200 years, most of us have lived through some kind of uh, revival. It can be gospel meetings, tent meetings, tent revivals. Um, uh, you, you have these times when there's this great focus placed on conversion experiences. You have crusades that have done this, where good work has been done. But what happens a lot of times when we have experiences that we provide where the main thrust is on conversion experiences is that people give their lives to the Lord. And what we've often done, whether or not knowing it or not, is that we have called people into conversion. But in doing that, we've done it in a way that we've made lousy disciples of Jesus because we presented the gospel as a one-time experience and a one-time response instead of this daily life of following Jesus, surrendering to Jesus, living for Jesus. I was talking with the leader of a church where I spoke um, uh, a few years ago, and they had one of those crusades where in one weekend they saw 72 people come to the Lord, surrender their lives, and be baptized into Christ. And, and what I asked them, this had happened a year before I was speaking at this event, I asked them how many of the 72 are connected to a local church somewhere around here, and their response was two. And I'm not questioning the other 70, whether they are saved or not. But as a church, we've been called to do something more than provide a rocky ground that gives people an emotional experience to latch on to and a one-time decision to make. But what we present them is a gospel of how Jesus wants to establish roots so that people can grow. We have so much more to offer than easy faith and cheap grace. And when we offer only easy faith and cheap grace, it... it allows people the ability to undo what has been started. Then you have the thorns. 
And this is one Jesus spends a little time on. He elaborates. He points out, like, what the challenge to this is. And, and a lot of it comes down to wealth and material possessions, material things. Wealth can be a divider of someone's mind, hearts, and motives. And if you notice in the story or even the way Jesus talks about money and wealth and the way the New Testament and the Bible does, is not the material values are ignored or that Jesus is inviting them to be annihilated in your life. It's that they need to be given the right place in your life. Which means Jesus is first. And all the other things you chase after in life come down the road. Jesus has to be first. He's not an afterthought. It can't be one of these of, hey, I want to get married and have kids and be successful and grow a business. And then one day down the road, I'm going to have a little more time that I can get serious about my faith. And one day I'll get around to it. It's that these thorns exist. And what happens when Jesus explains this parable... Uh, these two middle ones, when it comes to the rocky ground and the thorns, the challenge for both of them is when there is tension, when there's persecution, when there's something pressing against growth. For the rocky ground, it's that it falls away and it's like it dies. But if you notice with the thorn, when Jesus explains the thorn and what happens when the seed is growing around thorns, it doesn't die, it just doesn't bear fruit. You have people in churches all over the place today who were there. And it's not that they have died. There's no fruit. And the fourth one is the good soil. And this is one that hears the word, accepts the word, and bears fruit. Is that they hear, embrace, and hold on to, and this fruit comes. Now, most harvests would you would have seven to tenfold. And in this parable, Jesus says, this harvest with this good soil will bear like a hundredfold. It's this massive miracle of God to bear great fruit. And when it comes to bearing fruit, there is patience with the word. There's patience in your life. It takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. And if we're not careful, we can get really good at launching new initiatives in our life, but not allowing them to be sustained to where they grow and develop immature. A few years ago, I told you a story about uh, a guy, Delvin Lane. I know he's spoken to the youth here a couple of times. And Delvin uh, was a guy, he grew up in, uh, he grew up in South Memphis. And uh, Delvin, when he was young, he was a bright kid, made A's and B's. And it was in the science grade project in middle school where they uh, made the volcanoes and the volcano erupted. I don't know if you ever did that back in school, but Delvin was doing that, and he was pretty creative, so he put together this great volcano, and when it erupted, it left this white paste all around the side of it, and Delvin thought, well, that kind of looks like the stuff people sell in my neighborhood, so he put it in a baggie, and he went to his neighborhood, and he tried to sell it, but no one would buy it, and he said someone finally came to him, and they were like, man, the reason that People aren't buying that is that the good stuff numbs the tongue, man. That stuff doesn't numb the tongue. So uh, Delvin went to the store and got some oral gel and mixed it in with this fake stuff and was able to sell enough to get money. To Then he bought real stuff and began to sell it. And then in high school, he became one of the best drug dealers in his neighborhood. Wasn't entering into gang life, wasn't using what he was selling, but became a man with great power, great wealth, and all the women he wanted. He was also a great athlete had a scholarship to be the quarterback or to go play quarterback at the University of Wyoming. And right before he graduated high school, he was arrested on a false charge, lost a scholarship. He ended up going a JUCO route. In his freshman year of college, he got his girlfriend pregnant. 
So he came back to Memphis, and that's when he became a gangster disciple. And not only did he become a gangster disciple, he soon became one of the leaders over the district of the gangster disciples here in Memphis. His, he is portrayed in the movie The Blind Side. If you ever saw the movie The Blind Side, there's someone whose name is D in the movie who has, a, you know, a shouting match with Sandra Bullock and Miss Tui. And he said, you know, that never really happened. But he's in chapter 11 or chapter 12 of the book The Blind Side where they tell part of Delvin's story. And Delvin said it was then at the age of 19 that he was thinking to himself, I have money, I have women, I have power, I have influence, yet he felt this huge void in his life. A kind of void that was so heavy on him that finally one day he went and he sat down with the pastor of a church where he used to go to with his grandma and he sat down and he said, look, here's, here, here I am and I just feel this void. I feel an emptiness. And the preacher said, well, if you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? And he said, Josh, I've been asked that question numerous times throughout my life. And he said, I know how to respond just to kind of get pastors off my back. So he was able to tell this preacher about this conversion experience he had. But he said, this preacher did something that most preachers, every other preacher had never done, as he went a step further. And this pastor looked at him and he said, Delvin, if I followed you around for one month, what would be the fruit I would see in your life that would bear witness to the fact that you've given your life over to Jesus? And it was a question about fruit that did it. And Delvin left the gang life and he ended up being a huge part of launching streets ministries here in our city and now he's been working with the city and gang prevention and here's this man of God in our city who for him the pivotal moment the turn in his life to give his life over to the Lord to live as if Jesus is the Lord of his life is when someone said what's the fruit in your life like how are you bearing fruit so as you hear the teachings of Mark 4 today from Jesus what's going to be your response and what kind of reflection is Jesus calling you to do? And what kind of seeds is Jesus calling, causing you to sow? Because there's got to be some kind of response today from the people of God. So for the elders in the room and for our prayer leaders, will you go and uh, to your places this morning? We're going to sing a couple of songs. And every Sunday we provide places for you to go for prayer and for reflection. And this can be in response to the message. It can be prayers of your life. If there's something you want to bring in front of this church, Dewey's going to be up here to my right. And this is where we come if we want to share things with the whole church family and the other places throughout this room are for you to go. Just to have someone who can speak blessing over you, who can pray over you. And uh, before we sing these songs, will you just close your eyes and bow your heads? And I invite you to pray just silently where you are. Just pray and ask God to have his way with you through the teaching of Mark 4 today that it may come to life for you and invite you into deeper places in God's heart. And God, for the prayers that people are lifting up to you now, may they carry on throughout this day and throughout this week. And my prayer right now is that God if I've spoken any word that didn't honor your truth and your heart and your mission may the words fall to the ground and be trampled by you and may they bear no fruit but if I've spoken any word that honors your heart your character your mission your nature may those words sink deep establish roots 
and bear great fruit this week. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing.